0: Wall Street Week with Louis Rukeyser is made possible by the financial support of viewers like you. By The Travelers, insurance and related financial services working to provide financial peace of mind for American business. By Enron, providing natural gas which holds the promise for a cleaner world and a more energy independent America. Enron Corp. and the Enron Foundation and by Prudential Bates Securities, the investment firm with rock-solid resources and market-wise thinking in the business of making money. Produced Friday, June 15. Our panelists are Frank Capiello, Harvey Eisen, and Lewis Holland. Tonight's special guest is George Noble, Portfolio Manager, Fidelity Overseas Fund.
1: Good evening. I'm Louis Rukeyser. This is Wall Street Week. Welcome back. Well, this was the week when the New York Stock Exchange released its long-awaited report on program trading. But, alas, it was almost impossible to read through the nine coats of whitewash. Instead of seriously examining the notorious computerized games, whose mindless, market-jarring volatility has terrorized individual investors and discouraged their investments, The Exchange bowed obsequiously to the big players who were making a mint out of the practice. Indeed, so far from mounting any reasoned defense of the meltdown-producing programs, which have been condemned by virtually every serious outside investor in the business, the Exchange came up with a diversionary, gimmicky plan for extended trading halts. Sort of a band-aid for the cancer ward. And one person close to the panel airily admitted, I don't think anyone thought to eliminate program trading, so why spend time talking about it? Yes, indeed, the people's capitalism in action. This from the very exchange that used to tell individual investors how much it wanted them to buy a share in America. The panel's head, General Motors Chairman Roger Smith, dismissed criticisms of its not recommending anything other than minor curbs on computerized program trading by saying, and I quote, If we had felt there were abuses, we would have recommended more. Kind of makes you wonder how GM has managed to maintain any market share at all. The cynical bet of the exchange, and the tame academicians it has summoned to its cause, is that no one is going to protest too vigorously about program trading when the market is going up. And indeed, the programs, which send the market hurtling chaotically in minutes, because a computer readout has suggested a no-risk play involving a bundle of stocks and a simultaneous transaction in the Chicago futures market, were this week operating largely on the plus side. Next week, who knows? What is certain is that the exchange's failure to confront or even seriously examine the obvious evils of program trading and the loss of faith it is clearly causing among small investors everywhere is a lot more than the simple public relations problem that this week's Head in the Sands report loftily pretended. And where the industry itself has now so notably failed to act in the small investors' behalf, Washington is sure to start sniffing in earnest. We tonight will turn from the market's short-term hysteria, whose computerized excesses have now been officially condoned, to the longer-term prospects of the remaining actual human beings in the market in the company of the 33-year-old wizard who has compiled quite simply the best mutual fund record in the business over the past five years. But first, let's see what actually did happen in Wall Street in the week just past. The Dow Jones Industrial Average, which last week turned down after five straight weekly advances, resumed the uptrend this week aided by indications that inflation was coming under control and that the economy was not expiring after all. The Dow ended at its 12th record high of the year, 2935.89, up 73 and a half points for its fourth best weekly gain of 1990. But the advance was growing more narrow again, as none of the broader indexes managed to join the Dow in record territory. And at least one of our ten Chief Elves thinks it's time for a rest. Technician Michael Metz switched from bullish to neutral on the next three to six months, and the Elves Index is now back to as dead neutral as dead can get. While the bond market fretted that the economic news might not be bad enough to scare the Federal Reserve into lowering interest rates, the real losers of the week were those who listened to the pied pipers of precious metals. Gold dipped below $350 an ounce for the first time in four years, and silver hasn't sold at prices this low since Jimmy Carter was settling into the White House. Elsewhere on the Funny Farm front, Donald Trump failed to make a $30 million interest payment on Trump Castle bonds, and is presumably no longer threatening to sue anyone who suggests he has a cash flow problem. And a nationwide survey by Gentleman's Quarterly magazine revealed that the thing that's really on most guys' minds is, would you believe it, family. Frank Capiello, what's your advice now for the family of investors?
2: My advice for the family investors would be that the direction of the market is still up, but a lot of stocks are overextended, uh, they're in a sense overbought temporarily. Uh, we've got to get the secondary stocks moving, so we're still in the bull market, but some of these bigger stocks have to rest.
1: Well, uh, as I suggested earlier, while the Dow narrowly did make a new mm-hmm. hu- another new high today, even the S&P and the New York right. Composite, which did a few days ago, didn't do it today. The uh, broader secondary averages were a long way from their all-time highs. What's going to get them moving? Well, for example, a value
2: line, 1700 yeah. uh, stock average, is, is down for the year. What's going to get them moving is really uh, a relationship uh, that a, a portfolio manager would say, well, gee, you know, I'm not going to buy any more General Electric. I'm going to try to buy a secondary stock. Mm-hmm. We've got to make that move from the uh, general to the troops. And the fundamentals are in place. I mean, if you look around, retail sales down three months in a row. That's positive. It shows the economy is slowing. Sooner or later, the Federal Reserve has to move.
1: Uh, Federal Reserve has a meeting early next month. Mm-hmm. Uh, earlier this week, some people thought it would move strongly to lower rates. Today, they weren't so sure. What do you think? The discount
2: rate has been at 7 percent, the rate that uh, banks borrow from the Federal Reserve, a key rate, has been at 7 percent for 15 months. I'm betting that in the next four to eight weeks, the Federal Reserve will lower the discount rate to avoid a recession. And we'll probably get a drop in a prime immediately after that. And I think uh, that's the fundamental story. That's what the market's feeding on. That The Fed is going to try to avoid a recession, uh, but they're playing it awfully close, though awfully close. So you
1: think they will act, if not next month, certainly the month after?
2: I think they may act next month, but absolutely you're right, the month after. And I think uh, that's the the worry, that they may not act the month after. And then we have a recession, bad earnings, and the market goes down five, six hundred points.
1: So you say more green, greenspan? Yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Harvey Eisen, do you agree with Frank that we are still on the uptrend? You've been a pretty good forecaster on the optimistic side.
3: I think the good news is it's everybody is concerned about the market being too high and looking for a correction. I mean, I've been working on a stock for the last couple of weeks. I've been concerned about buying it. The company has a 23 percent return on equity. It dominates its markets, it's got a multiple billion market cap. And last night, at 12 o'clock at night, speaking of family i'm in the emergency room of a hospital with my little baby fifteen months old in walks a surgeon in one hand he's got a suture with a needle in the other hand he's got some tape the tape is made by minnesota mining he puts the tape on and we walk out that was it this
1: morning i bought stock full position for everybody (laughs) tell us us how your baby is (laughs) she's fine (laughs) and the stock we hope will do as well as she uh yes (laughs) well the secondary stocks which frank referred to have a virtue which connected with what I was talking about earlier, in that they're not in these programs. Well, are they attractive on that basis?
3: I, I am so positive on secondary stocks. Twenty years ago, in the late 60s, the Dow Jones peaked in 1966, went sideways for two years, and we made incredible returns on small stocks. I think the stage is set for that. Lou Holland,
1: these fellows say you ain't seen nothing yet. Do you agree with that?
4: Well, I think that's probably true. I think that we're in the late stages of the bull market that began back in late 1987. Uh, I think the advance, though, is likely to be constrained because we do have a slowing economy. We do have poor corporate earnings. We do have a restrained credit situation. I think it's possible we could already be in a credit crunch.
1: Well, if we are in a credit crunch, and some members of the Bush administration made the same suggestion this week, Why is the market doing as well as it is? Is it in fact being propelled by hot air at this point?
4: Well, most stocks aren't. And uh, I think that part of it relates to what Harvey was saying is that there is a lot of pessimism around. Breadth has improved somewhat, even though not to the stampede proportion, and momentum has been relatively good. And I think there are some cheap stocks if you're looking at some of the secondary stocks, because many of them are still down for the year.
1: Let me have the distinction of being devil's advocate for the Federal Reserve, an uncomfortable position to be in at any moment. But let's say maybe you fellows were all wrong. Maybe you want the Fed to pump up the economy and we'll set off a new round of inflation and two or three years from now you'll blame the Fed for panicking and easing too quickly. Is there a possibility of that also, too?
4: Yeah, I think so. I think if uh, if Frank is right and we do have some reductions in interest rates, I think that everyone might jump into the pool. In other words, I think everyone's going to get exceedingly enthusiastic and it may be that we have a forerunner to what we had back in 1987.
1: So if the, if the Federal Reserve is erring on the side of caution, it may not be the worst side in which it could err. Exactly. All right. In any event, gentlemen, it is time now to improve the credit ratings of our viewers. Frank Capiello, John G. Davis of Mountain Park, Oklahoma, is skeptical concerning all the talk in Washington about solving our budget deficit problems. What are the actual likely consequences of failing to solve the problem, he asks, for the economy and for stock and bond prices? And while we're at it, how do you rate the chances of success?
2: Okay, uh, if we fail to solve the budget deficit problem, we're going to have a disaster. Uh, Because more and more money will be spent by the federal government on paying the interest on this mounting federal debt. There'll be less to spend on other programs. And secondly, the refinancing of this debt will clog the debt market and force interest rates up, interest rates up, inflation up, stocks and bonds down. But, happily, uh, there is a solution in sight, and it's what we call a peace dividend. Uh, We spend in this country about $300 billion on defense. About 60 percent of that is spent in NATO or in Europe, defending Europe. And $180 billion in Europe is going to be cut because Russia is no longer an adversary. So uh, $90 billion will be available annually in a couple of years. And the budget deficit this year is probably $170 billion. So we have a, a fair amount of discretionary money to do something with
1: if we don't spend it on something else immediately?
2: Well, we will spend part of it on something else. Congress is going to, going to spend part of it. But part of it will go to resolve the deficit, I'm convinced.
1: Okay. Harvey Eisen, Stephen Nikoski of Greenfield, Massachusetts, has what may be a rare ambition these days. He'd like to be a stockbroker. He's just a few years out of college. He has a small amount of business experience. He wonders whether this is a good time for him to become a broker or whether he should get more experience and wait for the investment banking business to become more profitable. What's your advice?
3: My advice is there's never a good time or a bad time. When I became a money manager in 1969, I think it was the day the market peaked. If it wasn't, it was that week. If he can find a job, and he, he feels like he wants to expend the energy,
1: he should do it now and get started. It's a wonderful business to be in. By golly day, keep that in mind, all you stockbrokers of America who say I, there's never a kind word for you in this program. <laughs> Lou Holland, as if we didn't have enough trouble. Mac Taylor of Elko, Nevada, is worried about the killer bees, the ones that are swarming north through Latin America, drastically reducing honey production as they go along, now ready to enter the U.S. as illegal I- aliens. Rather than just fret about it, though, he wonders if there might be a way to make a buck out of it, specifically either in the American honey industry or in honey substitutes.
4: Well, I'm hopeful that they stay away from my portfolio. (laughs) Uh, But but the experts um, tell me that they're 160 miles south of Brownsville, Texas. Uh, Really, there is um, some concern. No one really knows the effect of uh, the killer bee on the production of honey. Uh, However, in those places that they've been, there has been some reduction. That is, where they've gotten established, there has been some reduction in honey production. Uh, So I guess at this juncture, uh, we'll still have to wait and see. There are really no substitutes uh, with regard to uh, honey. Uh, The only one, I guess, that's relatively close is corn syrup. And so if, in fact, uh, we're wrong and they destroy our honey production, then we can maybe buy CPC International.
1: All right. Cautious investors should stay in their yellow jackets. Now, if you would like to stop getting stung in your financial life, don't be waspish and blow your hornet at your spouse. We may be able to find you a really sweet deal. So if you're tired of playing, Honey, they shrunk my income. I have a killer idea. Send your sharpest money questions to us here at Wall Street Week, Owings Mills, Maryland, 21117. That's Wall Street Week, Owings Mills, Maryland, 21117. Now, before we meet tonight's special guest, who has compiled the number one record among all mutual funds over the past five years by investing exclusively outside the United States, let's see how nimbly he has moved that money around the globe, always finding world enough in time. In 1986, 41% of his investments were in Japan, with 10% in France and 9% in Italy rounding out his top three. His commitment to the booming Japanese market peaked in 1987 at fully 65% of his total portfolio. France was still second with 11%, but Britain at 8% replaced Italy, which dropped off his list entirely. The big news in 1988 was not that Japan still led the list at 54%, but that his commitment to British stocks doubled to 16%, and the emerging Spanish market moved into third place at 8%. A nip here and a tuck there, and in 1989, Japanese stocks were down to 50% of his portfolio, British to 10%, and French stocks moved up from 6th place in 1988 to 3rd in 1989 at 9%. But look at his biggest holdings right now. Japan, previously his perennial number one, is way down in 8th place at only 3%. While the remarkable political changes in Europe have made West Germany his premier pick, an 18% holding that more than triples his commitment to that country just one year ago. France, also a presumed beneficiary of the European unity movement, is a strong second at 15%, while Norwegian stocks, in which he had virtually no commitments prior to 1989, are now his third favorites at 7%. What in the world is going on? And does the successful investor now need a map as well as a calculator? For some thoughts on that, let's go over now and meet tonight's special guest George Noble. George, welcome. Pleasure to have you in this part of the world. Pleasure to be here, Will. George Noble joined Fidelity Investments as a summer intern ten years ago, while still pursuing his MBA at Wharton, and he has never had another employer. After learning his trade under the brilliant Peter Lynch at Fidelity Magellan, Mr. Noble took over the Fidelity Overseas Fund. And under his stewardship, its performance has led the Lipper ratings for all mutual funds of any kind over the past five years. George, like a lot of people, you stayed a little too long at the Japanese party. You had 30% of your money there when the market started to crack early this year. Now you're down to 3%. Do you think the Japanese market is now over for good, the bull market? To say it's over for good, Lou, would be a pretty bold statement. But
5: I think, in the immediate term, the answer is yes. And the simple reason for that is given the interest rate situation in Japan. What, what, what do you mean that the rates are going up there? Yeah, you've had Japanese rates of now up to around 7% on the long bond. The fact remains that price-earnings ratios in Japan, despite the decline, are still at 50 times earnings. It's just not competitive in a world of 7% interest
1: rates. As in our country, there is a debate between the government, which wants lower rates, and the central bank, which wants higher. Do you think the central bank's going to win? Uh, in, in Japan, that's there's obviously a problem
5: given the precarious state of the asset markets. Um, the Ministry of Finance has been battling the Bank of Japan over the over the interest rate policy. And, and that's part of the reason why you actually haven't seen rates go even higher.
1: Your new <coughs> enthusiasm, as I already suggested, your greatest enthusiasm is in Europe. You just got back from there this week. What do you think? I think long-term, the
5: outlook's sensational. Short-run, there are going to be some problems. Um, I think investors maybe have gotten a little bit too enthusiastic and witnessed the rise of the German market since the wall fell. Um, The transformation from a centrally planned economy to a market economy is going to result in all sorts of dislocations. Um, Long term it looks great, (coughs) um, but some of the problems, the short term problems, are just going to be staggering. You have, in fact, though Germany is your number one choice, reduced your commitment there in recent weeks. We've been taking a little bit of money off the table, yes. I think some of the enthusiasm will come out of the market. What's the appeal of France? France um, has had some of the most robust earnings growth in Europe over the last few years. And in the, current, in the context of this discussion, as, as with Germany being its biggest trading partner, stands to benefit enormously as Germany uh, grows strongly in the coming years.
1: Investors who want to invest abroad can do so through funds such as yours, but in many cases they can also buy individual stocks. What are some of your favorite choices around the world?
5: Right now, we're keen on, 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 a, on a variety of stocks in Europe. We're very keen, for instance, on the telecommunications industry, where you have companies like Ericsson, the Swedish company, or CGE, the French company. We also like the power generation industry, BBC <coughs> Brown, Bavaria. Uh, the French water utility, General Deso. Um
1: We're keen on Telefonos de Mexico. So we're really all over the globe right now. These are infrastructure stocks, to a large extent. Is this, this is a bet that these economies are going to move forward in a very substantial way. Is that correct?
5: You've had a big capital spending boom, Lou, in recent years, um, driven by strong economic growth and the advent of 1992, as companies have tooled up, tried to tool up for the coming unified common market. And this, the, the time horizon for the spending
1: boom is going to be even extended further yet by developments in Eastern Europe. Telefonis to Mexico, which is the called the AT&T of Mexico, which was recommended years ago in this program by John Templeton. He may have been a little early, but it seems to be moving a little bit now. What's, it, what's its future prospect? stock still
5: looks pretty pretty reasonably priced despite the move we've had. Um, it's now it's now up to $1.75 thereabouts. There are ADRs for, for the individual investor. Um, the stock is still pretty cheap. It's selling on only about six times next year's earnings. Um, and Mexico seems to be on the mend, so I'm still quite optimistic
1: about the outlook. Some people wouldn't have guessed that there were enough stocks in norway to represent as much of your portfolio as you suggested what's the appeal in, Mo- in norway what do you like in, there?
5: in norway it's not so much a, a function of the of the market itself but rather if you look specifically at the stocks that we that we own we've been very keen on the shipping industry over the last year particularly the outlook for oil tankers as you're seeing increasing production coming out of the middle east the uh, o- shipping industry is coming out of a out of a long recession um you're seeing uh, rates rise vessel prices increase and in Norway, you, you happen to find a good variety of shipping stocks. So it really is an industry call rather than a
1: market call. In your honor, we've assembled an incredibly internationally-minded and cosmopolitan panel, starting with the Urbane, Mr. Cappiello.
2: <laughs> Thank you, Lou. <laughs> uh,
1: George, one of our uh, uh,
2: stocks that we look at, from t- or countries that we look at from time to time, is Canada, because Canada now may offer some opportunity because of the Diver- diversity and the diverse divisiveness that's, uh, that's going on with Quebec. How do you rate Canada? It's a big market, a lot of possibility.
5: Yeah, w- the Canadian market has been of interest to us from time to time. Um, we've owned late law transportation uh, on and off. Uh, right now, though, we just see better opportunities elsewhere, particularly in Europe. So um, we're not, we're tending not to focus on the market at this point in
3: time. With all the comments about Europe today, what about the possibility that Mexico could be a new market for the United States? I think it's something people shouldn't forget
5: that one of the uh, big problems we had in the U.S. is we lost many of our major trading partners, particularly South America. And if you look at the growth rate that these economies experienced prior to the uh, oil shocks, um, going back to the 60s, 6-7 percent real GMP growth, if these economies ever come back, and Mexico seems to be coming back now, that re- represents an enormous positive for the U.S. Mexico seems to be the furthest along in this process, uh, thus our enthusiasm for Mexico and telephones us to Mexico. Mm-hmm.
4: George, foreign stocks have outperformed U.S. stocks by about 10% annually over the last 10 years. And, of course, we've had one of the best decades ever. What can we expect uh, going forward here, or are we getting into the game late?
5: I think um, one shouldn't be too greedy. Trees don't grow to the sky. And we're going to have to come back to trend lines somewhere al- al- along the way. Um, I think going forward, though, one should continue to pay attention to the foreign markets, recognize that over the last 20 years, the U.S. as a percentage of total world market capitalization has gone from two-thirds to one-third. So if you're restricting your investments to just the U.S., you're really missing out on two-thirds of the action. So I think every investor should be diversified, and hopefully he'll make some, some nice returns from the foreign
1: markets as well. George, two things contributed to your spectacular performance over the past five years. One was your unique genius. The second was that the U.S. dollar was tumbling. Do you think the dollar will continue to fall against foreign currencies?
5: I think from here, um, the movement in the dollar isn't likely to be too strong one way or the other, or let's put it this way. To the extent it does move, I think those movements will be less dramatic than we've seen in recent years and therefore manageable. Accordingly, I think we're better off focusing more on the markets themselves and the stocks themselves and not worry so much about the currency.
1: Would you have a general recommendation as to how much of the average investor's investment should be abroad? There are no hard
5: and fast rules. but. I think something in the order of of 25% perhaps
1: might be a a good level. We've talked about much of the world, but you haven't had much good to say about anything in Asia. Is that deliberate?
5: Not really. I think everything has its price. Um, Japan, we touched on briefly. Um, We are keen on uh, the ship repair companies in Singapore right now. But for instance, if you just look at Taiwan, which um, had gone up over 20-fold in the preceding five years. It's fallen 50% in the last four months, but even at these levels, the market's selling at 50 times. Falling earnings. I mean, there are twice as many brokerage firms as there are stocks in Taiwan right now.
1: So Let's Taiwan's a great economy, but the market—I don't know. Let's move from the free markets of Asia to the formerly t- tightly closed markets of Eastern Europe. How much of an opportunity is there for Americans there?
5: It'll be—it'll be some years before you can actually invest directly. So what I think one should try to do is invest in companies that have can benefit from developments in those markets. And some of the infrastructure stocks, as an example, are, are prime examples. Some of, of the that. ones you
1: mentioned earlier in Western Europe—the power generation, telecommunication What European right? stocks? should investors avoid? What kinds of stocks?
5: I'm worried right now about cyclicals, uh, airlines. Those uh, tied chemicals. to the general economy. Yeah, I, I, we're at the point in the cycle where you're beginning to see some earnings disappointments. And any company that's got a leveraged balance sheet in a cyclical industry could have some trouble, I think.
1: Do you have an estimate as to whether the American market will, in, in the near term, resume leadership over these markets? It's, it's, always, it's always a tough
5: question. Uh, you know, at Fidelity, we try not to predict the market. Unfortunately, I'm in the position of having to pick 30 markets. Um, it doesn't include investing in the u.s but um uh, so i will beg off
1: that one if you had to pick your favorite among all the foreign markets for next year what would it be
5: i think as a, as a long shot probably mexico
1: well, La. thanks very much george noble thanks too to our panel hope you'll be back with us again next week then we're going to take a look at one of america's most troubled industries my guest george salem is a leading analyst of the nation's banks and he'll be giving us an inside view on which ones now have more problems than deposits and which ones, on the other hand, you can truly bank on. Your interest all along the way is insured. Meanwhile, this has been Wall Street Week. I'm Lewis Rukeyser. Good night.
0: Wall Street Week with Louis Rukeyser has been made possible by the financial support of viewers like you. By the Travelers, insurance and related financial services working to provide financial peace of mind for over 40 million Americans. By Enron, providing natural gas which holds the promise for a cleaner world and a more energy independent America, Enron Corp and the Enron Foundation. And by Prudential Bache Securities, the investment firm with rock solid resources and market-wise thinking in the business of making money. For a printed transcript of this program, send $5 to Transcripts, Wall Street Week with Lewis Rukeyser, Owings Mills, Maryland, 21117. That's $5 to Transcripts, Wall Street Week with Lewis Rukeyser, Owings Mills, Maryland, 21117. Wall Street Week with Lewis Rukeyser transcripts are also available to subscribers of the Dow Jones News Retrieval Service. Wall Street Week with Louis Rukeyser is produced by Maryland Public Television, which is solely responsible for its content. The Chicago presentation of Wall Street Week is brought to you in part on behalf of Steinro Mutual Funds. Where a world of investment opportunities awaits you. Whether your investment goals are capital preservation, tax-free income or long-term growth, the Steinro family of commission-free mutual funds is ready to help.